0: Hello all, welcome to Celestial Waves podcast. Uh, Today I'm going to be talking with astrologer Lars Panaro on the history of astrology. So the history and origins of astrology are like the most speculated topic when it comes to the astrological community Uh, uh, because everyone who does their own research uh, based on the available resources have their own views on the history of astrology and the origins of astrology. So uh, today I'm going to be discussing with Lars Panaro on this topic. Uh, Welcome Lars, welcome back to the show.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Okay. So basically uh, when I was like looking at the origins of astrology in order to write an article for my magazine, uh, this is basically uh, the history of Indian astrology, but uh, I, was, I was quite surprised to know how far it goes and uh, and there's probably no end to actually date back. So th- there might be things that uh, we might not be knowing even now. So as we were talking some time back, so science is never ending and discoveries and inventions are going to happen today, tomorrow, and in the future. So, same way, history is like, uh, you go yesterday, you go day before yesterday, you go 100 years back, you go 1,000 years back, and you go 7,000 years back, you're going to find something. So, as long as you find something, like, you just need to travel. There is no end to it, uh, is it?
1: Right, um, there's no there's no end to it, and I guess um, I kind of want to, you know, before we get into some of the details of things, I, I was kind of thinking as you were talking about the metaphysical implications of history as it relates to time, and I think this is really important to understand for people who are studying any sort of history, because History is not an exact science. Really, almost nothing is an exact science except for things that are heavily mathematical. And even then there can be, you know, there can be some strange wiggle room stuff like, you know, when you get into the quantum dimension and start thinking about Heisenberg's uncertainty principle and how the you know the observer is affecting the thing being observed. So there's never like this pure observation devoid of any influence uh, because consciousness is essentially one thing. It's interrelated and it's just all pervasive and so on. So I suppose what I'm getting at is like with, with history, people can, a lot of times what happens is, you know, um, like, like there was just this document found, uh, that contained, a really old horoscope. I think it was from like the third or fourth century BC and it was a, like a Hellenistic horoscope and it had some pretty advanced techniques in it, like the, the hermetic lots, which are like a, an Arabic part. Well, that's what they came to be called later, but they're for each planet. Anyway. So like, it's really, it would be really tempting to say, Oh, because this is the oldest thing we've, we've found at this point, like astrology must have started around then or must've started maybe a hundred years before or something like that, you know? But people get so hung up on this kind of thing when, you know, thousands if not millions of documents and relics and, and ruins and all kinds of things from history, from antiquity have just disappeared, right? So like we have the oldest document that we know of and then we sort of erroneously think, well, until, further evidence like this is how old it is but then people forget about the further evidence part and they're like no it's this old and like it it, it has to have originated here or it has to be this or it has to be that and um, it's kind of a one dimensional approach approach and and I've seen this already happen with astrologers too who aren't you know I don't know any astrologers who are trained historians except for a few maybe like like Rob Hand I think has a PhD in history and stuff but you know a lot of people researching the history of astrology they're not necessarily historians by profession so um so i guess the first thing is like we shouldn't get too hung up on like what the records we have show for the history of astrology you know uh, does that make sense
0: yeah so as you said that uh, the 4th century or 3rd century horoscope from the hellenistic tradition with advanced techniques were discovered that is probably motivation to even go further back right so, okay so it's it's great that people have found that and um, it, it is a huge amount of motivation for the future researchers who want to date back uh, and travel further in history so as i was i was saying as i was saying about the article that I was uh, trying to frame from a magazine uh, it is basically on Indian astrology. So, that, the form of astrology that actually precedes Hellenistic astrology was known to be Babylonian astrology. Okay. So, however, um, when it comes to Indian astrology, people have like, uh, a huge amount of misinterpretation that uh, about the zodiacal form of Indian astrology. I think zodiacal form of Indian astrology is quite new, uh, which came after the 2nd century BC or 1st century BC, and uh, I'm not sure from where it came from. Um, there are people who say that uh, it's actually there in the Vedas, but uh, I've not studied the entire Vedas part. but. The thing is, there are some numbers that people relate to each sign like uh, uh, Aries, Taurus, Gemini. And there are signs that people can easily relate like Taurus and Libra. But uh, I'm not really sure about (laughs) like it really came from Vedas or it was imported from some other foreign tradition. But as far as Indian astrology is concerned, um, um, Nakshatra astrology, is the base. 27 stars, the nakshatras are the base of Indian astrology. And uh, yeah. so, in order to take a particular date from history, uh, I think these two epics, uh, epics of the Indian mythology uh, called the Ramayana and the Mahabharata. Uh, For those who don't know Ramayana, Like Ramayana happened in the age that was before Kali Yuga or even before Kali Yuga but uh, like so ages are defined like Krita Yuga, Treta Yuga Dwapara Yuga and Kali Yuga Kali Yuga is what uh, which is currently in progress at this point of time but uh, in Dwapara Yuga um, hopefully I'm not very sure if it is if Ramayana happened in Dwaparayuga, But Ramayana is basically a story of good and evil. Good being Rama um, and the evil being Ravana. So, Rama is basically uh, son of King Dasharatha of uh, Ayodhya. Ayodhya is a place in India, northern India um, which was ruled by King Dasharatha. Okay? Um, uh, <laughs> over a period of time after getting married, Dashartha was uh, like he was very, uh, he was feeling very bad that he was not having having hair to his throne. So, what he did is he went and married another woman um, called Kaikei. The first wife of Dashartha is uh, Kaushalya, next is Kaikei, and after that, he even married Sumitra. So, finally, even after marrying three ladies, uh, there was no heir to his throne, uh, to Ayodhya. So, uh, Vasishta had uh, like instructed and advised Dasaratha to perform some rituals or like something like that. And uh, due to which uh, four sons were born. One to Kaushalya, the first wife, who is Lord Rama. And uh, the other, Kaikei, gave birth to Bharata. And then we have uh, Sumitra's sons, who are Lakshmana and Okay, So, uh, at some point of time, what happened is, uh, Vashishta came over to King Dashwarda and he said that, um, his birth star that is dasharatha's birth star was going to be afflicted by uh, three malefics that is sun uh, mars and rahu and sun means king so what Vashishta advised to dasharatha is that uh, these two malefics suppressing sun like sun is the sun is the king okay sun represents king so when sun actually suppresses these like sun is suppressed by these two malefics uh, vashista said that it is uh, it is very dangerous and it can be fatal to a ruler like you so and uh, more precisely it is only dasharatha because dasharatha's birth star is being like it is being afflicted by these three uh, planets sun mars and rahu so what vashista advised to dasharatha is like he advised him to just retire from lordship and uh, uh, so that rama king lord rama would become the king of ayodhya and uh, finally dasharatha would be saved from this thing because he is no more the ruler of uh, ayodhya and uh, after listening to all this dasharatha went to his court and uh, he He just spread this news to the ladies of his court, like the three wives, and uh, everyone were uh, quite, like, uh, it was a very, uh, like, uncommon situation in the court of Dasaratha, okay? So, but Taikeyi was believed to be a very trained and brilliant astrologer, who even made use of comets and asteroids at the point of time so the exact time or idea of the date uh, i'll be i'll be saying in a due course but the thing is that Kaikei was uh, pretty much into even asteroids and comets so she sensed that a comet called dumaketu ketu is a comet and uh, she she had foreseen that this particular comet was approaching earth and it was coming very close. So uh, it was it was believed that the proximity of this particular comet to the earth was fatal to a ruling king and king was again Dasartha. So now we have two sides of the story. One story very prominent and the other story is not quite prominent. So the one prominent story is that people believe that Kaike was, was feeling jealous That her son Bharata was not going to be the king and Rama was going to be the king. This became Ramayana. But the other side of the story says that um, Taikei was a trained astrologer and uh, she wanted Rama to go exile. She wanted Rama to choose exile so that Rama won't be the king and uh, due to which he will be saved. Saved when that particular comet Dhumaketu approaches Earth. So uh, as it is Dhumaketu, the uh, this particular uh, combination affects the ruling king. So when Rama is not the king, he's saved by this. Kaikeyi was ready to actually sacrifice her own son Bharata, and she wanted him to become a king instead of Rama. But uh, history says otherwise. Uh, (laughs) No one is very sure which is true, but history says that Kaikeyi was very uh, like she was she was jealous about the fact that Rama was becoming a king and Bharata, her son, was not uh, going to become a king. So she wanted Rama to choose exile. And uh, however, to me, the second part seems to be more uh, logical and more relevant to our discussion. And yeah, so yeah. this was, so I also want to say the date thing like, uh, there is this, uh, there was this software called Planetarium Software. Uh, I don't know when and who like, like developed the software or something like that. I read this in uh, a paper, uh, which I'll be giving the details very soon. Um, like this particular software called Planetarium Software Like it, when we enter Rama's planetary details, we have the planetary details of Rama even today. So, when we enter the planetary details of Rama in that particular software, the date which it shows is 10th January, 5114 BC.
1: Wow. Okay. Wow. 5114
0: BC. So, this is probably. A very telling fact for the like to prove that uh, nakshatra astrology in India existed uh, by around 5000 BC. So, wow! And then yeah. comes the other uh, great epic called Mahabharata. Mahabharata is uh, I'm not sure if people know Mahabharata, but Mahabharata is another great epic uh, which happened at around uh, 3100 BC. So, Mahabharata was road to Kali Yuga, but Mahabharata was not particularly uh, Kali Yuga in my opinion. So, Mahabharata was just road to Kali Yuga. Mahabharata is basically war between uh, two families. That is, one family is Pandavas of five brothers, and the other family is Gauravas of 101 brothers. Okay? So, so basically what happens here is that um i'm just coming directly uh, coming into the uh, to prove that astrology was existing so i'm giving an astronomical fact okay so sure. sorry, astrological fact so here what happens is uh, in gauravas that is in the bad camp Gauravas are considered to be bad and pandavas are considered to be good in gauravas the bad camp of the 101 brothers, there was a person called Sakuni. Okay. Sakuni uh, Sakuni advised Duryodhana, the leader of Gauravas, to approach Sahadeva. Sahadeva is the youngest of the five Pandava brothers, and Sahadeva is considered to be a brilliant astrologer. Uh, uh, history says that at times Sahadeva was uh, Sahadeva even impressed Krishna by his predictions and his uh, astrological knowledge. So, uh, Sakuni actually made use of this uh, um, brilliance of astrology that Sahadeva had. And what he did is, uh, he asked Duryodhana to go and get Amhurta fixed for the war of Kurukshetra, which is Mahabharata. Okay. The war between the Pandavas and the Gauravas. The Muhurta in such a way that uh, Gauravas will win the battle. In favor of, pretty much in favor of Gauravas. So, one might think that how someone in the enemy's camp, that is the Pandava's camp, would actually fix the right Muhurta for their opponents to win the battle. But Sahadeva is such a very honest astrologer that he cannot like say a fa- he cannot falsify a fact uh, which is related to his profession so what sahadeva did is he, he clearly gave uh, the right muhurta which which was supposed to favor Gauravas to win the battle against pandavas however mm. uh, the bad krishna played a spoil sport and the battle started a day earlier than uh, <laughs> then it should be okay. um, uh, that is another side of the story but this was this is another proof for the fact that astrology existed uh, in indian lands uh, or in the subcontinent lands in uh, like about 5000 years ago and
1: right.
0: the, the the end of the era of lord krishna uh, marks the beginning of kaliuga which is like 3102 bc so wow. This is what I wanted to bring up uh, in the show, like how astrology in India dates back. And then uh, again, we we, I'm not sure when Babylonian astrology uh, originated, but uh, I think Babylonian astrology is like has been practiced from uh, 1500 BC. I'm not really sure.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm not 100% sure on the dates. And for anyone who's listening to this discussion, you know, there's plenty of other places uh, that you can go if you want, like the really hard, quote unquote, historical facts of the matter. I think that what's so interesting to me about hearing about these, uh, these epics uh, and the astrology related to them, the Ramayana and the Mahabharata, is that the The type of astrology that it hints at is similar to what we see in ancient Mesopotamian astrology, which is that there's like these um these kind of uh it's more of an omenology it's more it's not so much related necessarily to a single individual. it's like understanding the motions of the heavens and the stars and the you know the the planets and all that um for more like general purposes and we we do know that in uh, i believe the artharva veda the nakshatras are listed and they're uneven in terms of their the degrees they cover because if you ever look at the sky it's not like the sky and the stars and whatever are just like nice and neatly chopped up into these like exact pieces of 13 degrees and 20 minutes and thousands of years ago presumably you know, the pundits or the rishis or whoever was doing this would have been looking at, would have really been observing the sky. You know, they would not have had their heads just buried in the equivalent of a computer, right? Like we, we don't really observe the sky as much today as astrologers. We just observe our computers. (laughs) And so, you know, they would, they would probably literally be noting uh, what nakshatra is the moon in, or even what nakshatra is like a planet like Jupiter in, they would be observing that against the background of the sky, the night sky as best they could. And so they would probably be kind of eyeballing it, right? They would be like, okay, well that star uh, is the star of that nakshatra and the moon is like pretty close to it. So the moon's in that nakshatra. Even if today our software would show it in a different nakshatra because we divide things evenly uh, that's that 's not the way it was, and so when you have a combination like like sun Rahu and Mars showing you know injustice or well not injustice, but some kind of downfall to the king, right like why is it showing the king well, because the sun is a king, and of course you know we know how Rahu and Mars will behave when they 're together, and that that uh, that particular astrological conjunction would not necessarily be something that occurs very often right those three planets coming together like that their cycles are um different enough that that's probably a fairly uncommon event Uh, i i can't think of a chart at the moment that has that conjunction myself uh so that would be pretty um pretty rare you know it would be you know happening probably once in the whole lifetime of uh, that particular king and if it was also happening in i think as you mentioned his his birth nakshatra like the nakshatra that was prominent when he was born which would have been observed because he's a king right anytime like an heir to the throne was born the astrologers were definitely going to be paying attention to that because what the king does and what happens to the king affects the whole empire and therefore, it affects all the individuals. And so, uh, the same is true today, though, for any leader of a country. Like you know, uh, the the in the U.S. here, the president's chart can um, can, in a sense, alter the implications of our own charts and so on. So we do see like a parallel there between uh, what we know about the Mesopotamian astrology, the ancient Mesopotamian astrology, and what you're describing from those indian epics um and same with the mahurta from the ramayana you know same with the mahurta because he you know what is he observing right he he's observing probably the general nature of the stars on a given date and we don't even know right if he was calculating a horoscope like an ascendant cuz horoscope actually is the ascendant horoscopos from greek so he may have just been observing like mainly what nakshatra is the moon in and you know, like what, um, and and so on and so forth. And it may have been in a nakshatra that would be auspicious for initiating a battle. So maybe if the Gandharvas initiated the battle, they would be the ones who would, you know, have the power and stuff to win. So it's, it's very fascinating stuff. And I think there's a certain like, uh, Eurocentrism or Western centrism that, that creeps into um, the historical narrative uh, when it, when it comes to Westerners, like looking at this stuff, because uh, I think what, because Westerners have really lost a connection with their, their myths and stuff. There's a tendency to regard things like this as um, just a story or not like historically, viable or something like that. And I, I personally don't uh, subscribe to that. You know, I think, um, I think there's more truth in mythology on a historical level than there often is in just, you know, finding some documents and then attempting to date it to some era and saying, oh, this must be how, you know, this must be the oldest form of something, you know, And then, you know, a hundred years later, somebody discovers something else and it's like, oops, it's actually like 10,000 years older than we realized. It's it's,
0: it's always very surprising. And uh, to all our surprise, uh, as uh, Rama chose exile, uh, Bharata was not sworn in as king. And Dasharatha passed away at that particular time when Sun, Mars, and Rahu were like afflicting his birth star, and wow. that also signified the proximity of the comet to mekhetir to Earth. So Dasharatha actually passed away as a king.
1: Wow. So. And and like you said, you found that particular conjunction, right? You found it using the the software.
0: No, not me. It was it was written in uh, like a scientific study for the astronomical proofs. Proof. Oh, cool! This like Rameshvi Punchwar. So it is specifically for Mahabharata. Wow! And uh, I had read about Ramayana and some other paper, but uh, this is really
1: that's really amazing. Yeah.
0: That, uh, someone can really find out the astronomical proof of these mythologies that happened about five thousand to seven thousand years. Yeah.
1: And, and you know, I also wanted to mention too like more about the the metaphysical basis of time and studying history as well is like there's no there is no evidence that the laws of physics are the same at any point in time and space in the in the history of our whole universe right so like you know, some of these, uh, some of these yugas are like an unbelievable amount of time. You know, I mean, Kali Yuga is the shortest and it's like 432,000 years or something like that. Yeah. (laughs) So, so, you know, that's like, that's not really fathomable to, to me or presumably to any, anybody really. But the question becomes like, are, does time pass in the same way? when we go back really far, because if human consciousness was different, right. There's like, there's uh, writings and traditions that I, maybe, maybe biblical, but it's in everything where it's like talking about when man walked with the gods or man walked with God kind of thing. And it's like, if we go b- back far enough, you know, human consciousness was different. The subtle senses may have been more wide open. And so people could actually perceive and speak with like uh, what we call devas or, what we call celestials in the modern day sense, um, which are basically higher mental beings. Um, not to get too much into that, but like the the beings that we refer to as gods exist in like the subtle mental plane of reality. And uh, even Sri Aurobindo talks about this. So I'm not like making this up. It's not like new age stuff. It's it's very much there. Uh, anyway, so the... um. The, the point I'm trying to make is if we go back far enough, right, into these other ages and these other points in time, like wh- the passage of time may have been experienced very differently. And so, um, you know, I've heard people talk about like the Vedas being like 30,000 years old, or um, there's even an Indian pundit from like the early 20th century who wrote a book on how the Vedas were like 8,000 plus years old and written in the Arctic.
0: Yes, Uh, his name is Bal Gangadhar Tilak, who wrote that
1: uh, book, a
0: particular book which said that Vedas are from the Arctic. Right. And Vedas are actually an Aryan concept. So I don't really disagree with that. I really try to find some logic with that. I have that particular book. Oh, cool. uh, Yeah, by Bal Gangadhar Tilak. I think that's a very uh, it's a very useful addition to one's uh, historical knowledge especially with regard to vedas and uh, there are people who say that vedas are like uh, 8000 years old 24000 even 32000 years old yeah we really are not sure how old vedas are but as of now we are sure that vedas are like at least 8000 years old because when when Dasartha was able to perform rituals in Vedas, so it was, it, it's quite evident that Vedas existed at that point of time. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah,
1: And my point in bringing that up is not to say like, uh, they're definitely 30,000 years old or they're definitely written in the Arctic. It's more just to point out that there are like a diverse set of theories and perspectives surrounding the antiquity of the vedas and if the vedas really are 30,000 years old or whatever then that would mean that the astrology they speak of which is nakshatra based is also very very old and indeed in like you know in H P Blavatsky's secret doctrine which is kind of a controversial uh book but um nonetheless it's it's a really profound and insightful book um if you read it with an open mind uh, she she'd mentioned some strange things about uh, the Zodiac and about how, like, originally there were only 10 signs and that, in fact, Scorpio and Virgo were one sign and that at a certain point, Libra um, sort of split them in half. And this is, um, you know, this is some very obscure esoteric, this is some very obscure esoteric stuff for sure. But um, it kind of correlates with this idea that like the, that the earth was not necessarily inclined at a 23 degree axis uh, because there's like all these mythologies in every, pretty much every culture that speak of like an ancient, an ancient period of time where everything was like perpetually spring. And that like at a certain point, some, there was like this drastic shift and the earth tilted and it changed like the whole um the whole seasonal cycle and the the you know the um the weather mechanics of the planet and stuff like that. And so you know going from ten signs to twelve signs may reflect that. It, it also seems to have something to do with the theory surrounding Atlantis um and again atlantis is just kind of a modern term for some ancient civilization that was very very advanced that sunk below the surface of the earth so um yeah i'm sorry i'm kind of getting way out there but i just just i just want to make the point that like there are there are these really interesting uh and in some ways very credible theories that that dispute mainstream history and so i feel like I feel like the main thing is that like we really don't know how old astrology is That's like why we originally wanted to do this podcast because like people keep trying to narrow it down and they keep saying things like Oh, well Indian astrology is just like Hellenistic astrology, but tweaked which is you know, not um, Not really supported by what we're talking about here, you know, there's there's maybe some elements of Hellenistic astrology that made it into the Indian continent but That's some or subcontinent, but that's not uh, you know to just boil it down to that. So basically um, you know history can be kind of like a black hole and uh, There's I think there's much and more. We just don't know. So the the origins of astrology are really shrouded in mystery
0: Yeah, and uh, (laughs) the fact is that we may just go and find more if we go further back and (laughs) The fact is that even Babylonian and Hellenistic stuffs might have existed before which for which we don't have evidence or proof at this point of time. But uh, uh, what we know is ba- so I'm not sure if there is I think there is a Babylonian chart which was uh, made in like 400 BC. Uh, I'm not oh, okay. really sure. I, I saw it somewhere like the ancient Babylonian chart uh, that was made in 400 BC was found with really brilliant techniques of the Babylonian tradition. But uh, but the Babylonian tradition was uh, flourishing during that point of time until like the Hellenistic tradition came into existence by the end of 2nd century BC and the beginning of 1st century. So,
1: Right. Well, I mean, I I actually think, you know, with the discovery of this, this recent horoscope, that's like third, fourth century. uh, I think there's just going to be an increasing amount of evidence to suggest that even what we call Hellenistic astrology is very, very old, much older than we realize. And it's not, you know, Hellenistic astrology, people, when they hear that word, they think Greek, Greece. But really, there's uh, there's very little evidence to suggest that it was Greek. Um, it was written in Greek, meaning that the people writing the books that we have on Hellenistic astrology were writing in Greek because it was sort of the scholarly language of the time and the place they lived. But it's more like Egyptian, Alexandrian, and, um, you know, some of the astrologers are from like uh, modern day Turkey and Lebanon and places like that. Um, so, you know, there's that Persian element, too, that's that even creeps in because the Persians really did a lot with it later on. And it's, it's just, uh, it's not, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's not Greek. It's not even Western. Like Egypt is not the West. Um, Lebanon, Turkey, uh, Persia places like that. That's not Western to me, at least I guess, I guess it depends on what you call Western, but, um, I don't consider that Western. I consider it Eastern. And so it's really astrology, Seems to ma- mainly be an Eastern tradition, unless you're looking at, say, Mayan astrology, which is in what we call the West. And there is a a very ancient tradition of Mayan astrology that some people are beginning to revive and so on. Um, I don't know too much about it myself, but it's, it's interesting to put that all together. And then, um, yeah, you just you just start to realize that all of this stuff is a lot older. Um, and, you know, there's there's stories about Indian astrology and certainly the Vedas uh, being revealed by Lord Brahma or being written down by these sages. And in the Hellenistic tradition, too, there's kind of, there's these obscure figures that are referenced, Nechepso and Pedasiris, who was like a king and his, and his, like, chief advisor, who were like master astrologers. And a lot of the Hellenistic authors we have quote, quote them or say, Nechepso and Pettisarius say this, but we don't have those, their writings. We don't have the writings of that king and his advisor or priest or whoever it was. Um, But then there's the kind of this obscure idea that emerges somewhere that, you know, the Hellenistic astrology was revealed by Hermes, which is like a mythological figure coming out of, you know, Greco-Egyptian mythology (laughs) and so it's very similar to this idea in India that Lord Brahma revealed this wisdom you know it's like Hermes Trismegistus is is in many ways like a, a mythological figure and the question becomes are they are they talking about the same consciousness you know just using two different terms or epithets for that consciousness we really don't know it's very mysterious stuff Yeah, so,
0: like coming back to the Hellenistic tradition, uh, Hellenistic tradition was, uh, like, it pretty much marked the decline of Babylonian tradition when, and I think it all, I'm not sure, but I think it all started when, uh, as uh, the city of Alexandria was founded in Egypt by the great uh, Alexander, and... uh, (sighs) After that, like uh, when uh, I think Alexander passed away at uh, three thirty-six B.C.
1: Uh, that sounds about right. I'm not.
0: Uh, yeah, Alexander like passed about passed away somewhere around, around that, that time, way. and about two since, like about one century passed, and by the end of second century B.C., there was there was this uh, like the beginning of uh, astrology, like in the hellenistic tradition so it, it started uh, to flourish uh, i think under the rule of uh, emperor tiberius so where translates okay. of mendes was considered as a great astrologer astronomer and mathematician who finally ended up to be even the personal advisor of uh, emperor tiberius so okay. i think so like uh, hellenistic astrology like, like it was in existence for about 800 to 900 years like from second century bc to uh, the end of sixth or the beginning of seventh century ad So,
1: right and then it kind of becomes uh becomes, be, starts to become modified during that time and and after by the the persian um astrologers who are you know jewish and muslim primarily uh but there there is a strong i i believe there is a strong tradition as well of uh astrology in persia that probably predates um islam and even what we know about uh about this kind of stuff because like there's there's even um there's a um i forget what it's called but there's a there's a text that's supposed to be by the Imam Ali, it's supposed to be Imam Ali um, in his words, and he's talking about like who he is and uh, how he's been betrayed by the, um, uh, the I think the, the the first two rightly guided caliphs. And this is sort of coming out of the Shia tradition of Islam. And, and for people who don't know, um, Imam Ali was, uh, he was basically like the prophet Muhammad's uh, most like revered and close um, friend. And he was kind of like a son to him. And he married his daughter as well. Fatima, I believe. So, um, and the Imams, there's like a whole mystical thing about the Imams in Shia Islam, but he mentions, uh, he mentions like the Persian, I believe it's like the Persian or Arabic names for, uh, for the planet uh, Mars and Saturn. Like he makes uh, an astrological reference in this speech, and you know the the Persian names for the Persian names for these things are like they're very um, they're very poetic, and uh, I think very ancient. So there's still not much we I think there's still much and more to be uncovered about the Persian aspect of astrology. <laughs> And then you know talking about nakshatras right there's there's at least three different versions of nakshatras because there's the Indian version and then there's the Arabic version which may well come out of Persia it may not be Arabic I, I don't know and then there's even a Chinese version and they're all they're all 28 you know because originally the Indian one was 28 too yes so they're all 28 so it's like you know, but where does it originate? Uh, I think if I had to guess, I'd say the the Atharva Veda is probably the oldest source that we have for them. But, um, you know, people might want to double check that because I really don't, I don't know for certain.
0: Yeah, the problem is like we cannot conclude at a particular date or a period when it comes to any form of history because uh, the scope to research and go further back is always available.
1: Yeah
0: when time is available precisely. right so and like when when the hellenistic tradition was over uh, effectively by the fall of roman empire at around the early 7th century uh, i think the islamic tradition took over the rulership of those lands and uh, i'm not sure if they really took over the greek lands but uh, i think i don't think so uh, yeah But I think the Islam, Islam people, and uh, like the Islamic rulers were quite. uh, They had a good eye for astrology. That they uh, tried to take some of the traditions from the Hellenistic era and, uh, like, translate it into Arabic um, in their Islamic rulership, like Islamic era. And I think astrology really flourished for about two to three centuries, like by the end of ninth or the beginning of 10th century A.D. And uh, finally, I'm not sure, but I think astrology was considered to be magic in Islamic tradition, which pretty much, uh, I think, uh, like banned astrology or something like that. I'm not really sure about it, but at a certain know, point, say, yeah.
1: At a certain point, I believe that did happen. Yeah, they, the astrology became highly taboo yeah. for the Islamic empire at, at large. And then it. Uh, that's kind of about the same time, probably about the same time that it started to become uh, acceptable again in Europe.
0: Yeah, and that, that I think was pretty much the end of astrology in Islamic tradition, uh, at least at that point of time. Uh, and then... Uh, we get into the 11th and 12th centuries uh, where, again, astrology starts flourishing in the East where there were so many texts written. I think uh, in India, there were so many texts written by, uh, especially astronomical texts, which which is pretty much related to astrology by Aryabhatta. Uh, Aryabhatta gave, like, he gave the uh, alignment of planets in order. The classical and traditional planets in order and uh, that was like around 475-525 AD and after that the uh, successors of Aryabhatta had carried over the job and uh, there was so, ma- so much mathematics and like astronomy and astrology involved in each and every other work that the Eastern, yeah. Eastern tradition uh, like uh, they said. And uh, I'm not sure where astrology went off after the 12th or 13th century. And, uh, and then I really like come and fall at William Lilly, where he presents Christian astrology. Probably, the first, I think that is the first book that was written in English language, exclusively in English language, other than Greek, Latin, and uh, Arabic and Sanskrit.
1: It may, it may have been, um, it's hard. Uh, it's hard for me to remember right now cuz there were other astrologers who were contemporary with lily who i think were also writing in english they were okay. british and also writing in english um i have a few of those books and um i mean yeah it's it's funny cuz like as much as i as much as i really love uh the renaissance english astrologers in many ways like what they offer is kind of a watered down version of um persian hellenistic astrology <laughs> uh there are just like some key techniques and elements that are just not really there anymore or not really emphasized um and so you know but this i mentioned this because you know like this brings this brings me or this brings us to to another key point in the history of astrology which is that no nowhere has astrology ever been practiced like monolithically meaning that nowhere was it one in the same thing for thousands of years it's astrologers have always like toyed with things tweaked things experimented with things just like a lot of us are doing today um, and you can clearly see this in in the fact that there are different time lords and uh, different Preferences given to different techniques by different authors, even of the same era, roughly. I mean, what Ptolemy talks about, some of that stuff is scarcely found anywhere else. It seems like, and it's stuff that works very, very well, uh, like using the luminaries to look at the spouse, for example. Um, that seems to mainly come from Ptolemy, although you know, it may be in some other authors. But you know, what he talks about is um, very succinct, and it works very well in my experience. Um, and the same in India. The same in India. In uh, in preparing the article on the Yavanajataka for your magazine, it's like I, I I was going deeper and deeper into it and realizing like uh, this is so different from what what we get later in texts like Parashara, you know. Like you have, it's just very different. Like and and there are certain things that are exactly the same, but you know, you have the beginnings of what would later become Shadbala and it's much simpler in Yavanajataka. It's like, I think it's maybe like four out of the six pieces of Shadbala and it's like, there's no points. There's no like heavy duty math, you know, you have like Digbala, um, you have, um, you have the one, uh, I forget what it's called, but you have the one where uh, does the planet have like Southern or Northern declination you know, so you have like a couple of them and then as very, you know, just very briefly mentioned. And then, you know, by the time we get to like Parashara and <clears throat> uh, I'm not as familiar with, um, for but in Parashara, like, you've got this ridiculously complicated calculation for Shadbala. It's even more complicated than calculating a birth chart. I mean, it's kind of just ridiculous uh, in, in many ways. Uh, so I, I, <laughs> I'm sort of, um, I'm very careful when I use shadbala because I'm not as fond of the heavy-duty mathematics stuff with astrology. But the point is, is that wh- whether you use it or not, it's um, that stuff is not necessarily like divinely revealed. It may just represent uh, one or two astrologers' attempts to come up with something like really, really scientific or or mathematical, <laughs> and and it clearly evolves out of what is given in Yavanajataka and and the same with like the the rupas system that parashara employs for aspects the same aspect doctrine is given in yavanajataka that we find in parashara except in yavanajataka there's no special aspects for mars jupiter or saturn and there's no rupa system there's no pointing system it's more like a whole sign kind of hellenistic thing where like you know planets in this sign aspect this sign and there's no like degree based thing Um, or there, there is, but it's not, you know, it's not, uh, it's not so heavily emphasized. And, and then just one more mention too is like uh, Jamini is the most mysterious thing ever because nobody knows really who Jamini was. Uh, We have some idea of when that text is from and it's, it's very old and you know, where the hell does, where the hell do those techniques come from? Because we don't find that aspect doctrine recapitulated anywhere else except later in Parashara. We don't find those techniques that Jaimini gives recapitulated anywhere else. I mean, there are some really weird techniques in Jaimini that I haven't even touched because they are just—I just—I can't even wrap my head around them at this point. Yeah, like there are
0: so many sutras in Jaimini's.
1: Yeah, th- there are, but like, there's this weird chapter on childbirth where it's like, look at the eighth house from like this specific uh, pada or something, and uh, or the sun, or it's very like, what? Okay, what is going on here? <laughs> and you know, so these techniques in divinity are, are really unprecedented, really mysterious, and uh, and you know, we just don't really know where the hell it comes from. <laughs> uh, and the most of the like the reason why
0: indian forms of astrology fall under some criticism is the fact that there are so many things that are quite mysterious <laughs> we really like uh, for example dasha system so yeah. it's, it's clearly not clear why saturn has 20 like right 15, uh, venus has 20 and yahoo is 18 and so on so and there are quite a bit of those things like uh, which fall under criticism uh, because of the like the mystery that uh, it has but still they're really effective they work yeah that's the thing they work brilliantly and yeah <laughs> yes
1: I mean, yeah, Vimshotri Dasha works, in my experience, has worked better than pretty much any other Time Lord system I've ever experimented with.
0: Yeah, Vimshotri Dasha is probably, not probably, it is the most uh, prominently used timing technique across India. And uh, I think all those who practice uh, Indian astrology or Vedic astrology. And uh, something that you were, Talking about actually made me think about Nadi astrology. Hmm. Uh, see, Nadi is like, uh, I, I'm not sure when there are so many branches of uh, Nadi astrology. There is like uh, a palm leaf Nadi astrology, um, there right. is uh, a Nadi, there is uh, Satrishi Nadi, and there is Chandrakala Nadi, and there are so many Nadis. Ah. Okay? But, and each Nadi prescribes each rules. Uh, I am not really sure when this particular forms of nadi is actually originated but uh, like there are papers that say that uh, this palm leaf Nadi like came at around uh, six hundred or seven hundred BC from uh, a Tamil sage called abattir. Um, And uh, Agathir is really famous for giving the first ever uh, grammatical components of the Tamil language. Oh, wow. Wow. And and I think that was even before that particular era. But uh, he he actually gave Nadi astrology and this is is the belief. And the palm leaf Nadi was written by uh, Agathir and his uh, like Disciples or shishyas. okay, and uh, it is believed that they sat and they like uh, predicted the lives and the lifestyles of all the beings, like human beings that are about to be born in this world. Like th- this is the story, but I'm not really sure, uh, like how it would have been possible to really predict and record. The lives of all the human beings, the records of all the human beings. This is like.
1: Yeah. Well, th- this, and this is where, th- this is where all uh, linear thinking breaks down because it's, I don't believe that it's so much that the, this sage, this sage or sages wrote all this stuff down and then just like put it away in some, you know, cave or closet or something. Exactly. I believe, I believe that the moment that you come to receive the Naughty reading, the, the leaf is there or the, and, and there are stories about the leaves and what they say literally changing and even yeah, changing when they're in con- engraved in concrete or something, they change. So um, it's more like, because again, because time isn't linear, it's more like when you go to get the reading, you could think that like the sage who wrote these is writing yours right at that time that you went to go receive it because, because really, um, even quantum physicists are, are, you know, beginning to I to prove it. I don't I don't know how you prove it with mathematics, but I guess, I guess they are that, you know, time and space uh, linearly break down at a certain point and it doesn't make sense to, um, to think about that. And there are, there are thousands of stories of, um, of, um, Great sages um, being in more than one place at the same time. Uh, there's there's a, there's a particular story in uh, Yogananda's autobiography where um, he goes to meet Swami Pravana Pravana, Pravana Banda or something like I can't remember his name at the at the moment. But uh, he goes to meet the Swami and uh, the Swami like finds him off, when he gets off the train and leads him to his house and then disappears. And then it like turned out that before he, he disappears before he gets to the house. And then it turns out he was like in the house at the same time. Or at the end of um Millarepa's biography, Millarepa was uh the one of the greatest Tibetan Buddhas. Um at the end of the story he appears in like five or ten different places at once and does different things with people. And then everyone's arguing saying, no but Millarepa was here doing this with me. No, but Millarepa was here. And you know, he comes out and he's like, I tricked you all. <laughs> I was with you all and I tricked you all, you know? So um, it's very difficult for, for most of us to comprehend that level of, of, um, of Buddhahood. But, uh, that's, you know, that's what, uh, there's so many stories about that. And, uh, as I, as I, as I learn more, I just doubt it less and less. So, um, I think there's, there's this mystical element to astrology and all the divinatory arts and to movements of culture and um, the rise and fall of civilizations and all that stuff that needs to be acknowledged. Uh, I believe one reason that Vimshottari Dasha is so powerful is because so many people use it and have faith in it. And it, so it creates kind of this like elective bundle of faith so that when like the first time I approached it and started using it, there was less doubt in my mind about its validity because I knew that this worked so well for thousands of people and probably for thousands of years that it was just like, all right, I'm just going to, I'm just going to use it. Like I'm not going to doubt it. And then, you know, it, it, it worked really well. Whereas some of the time Lords that were reviving from the Hellenistic era and that I've experimented with and other people have experimented with it, it. There's still some skepticism about it. There's still kind of this, like, does this really work? And if you have that mindset when you approach the chart, then unfortunately, you're not going to be able to um, really get mine the gold that's there, you know, because you're going to be like, well, I don't know if this works. I really don't know, right? You have to just like put that aside and and do it.
0: Brilliant. And yes, (laughs) even I don't really find any uh, like believable rationale behind the fact that. these palm leaves were written for all the human beings at one point of time by a few sages uh, but given the fact that so many like unbelievable things have been found out with regard to the history of astrology i'm not sure if I can really really like uh, write off anything at this point of time so yeah so i think uh, uh, i think we'll wrap it up here and uh, okay. probably I think like we we'll conclude that there is no uh, real date like uh, that says the origin of uh, astrology and uh, we, d- we really need to go back 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 and further back
1: yeah and we need to be open-minded and we need to stop creating like false barriers when it comes to culture and 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 all this stuff because in reality like all the all the forms of astrology that we have have been influenced by each other like the Indian astrology has been influenced by Hellenistic the Persian astrology has been influenced by the Indian and so on and so forth and you know um, and then that makes its way into Europe influences the people in Europe and you know I'm sure we would find um, similarities between like Chinese Mayan and Indian and Hellenistic and all and Persian and all this stuff um, there's really no such thing as like one distinct culture people in ancient times didn't talk didn't think like oh this is my astrology I practice Hellenistic astrology and that's Indian or Vedic astrology and that's different like no when um, when when that what's his name that Arabic um, astrologer uh, Al Biruni went to India right? Like he, he studied Indian astrology, studied Sanskrit. And in, his, in one of his major treatises on astrology, he wrote about when he was writing about things like dignity, he was like, uh, this is how dignity works, but the Indians do it differently. And I'm going to tell you how they do it. And he doesn't tell you like which one he uses, right? He could, he could have been experimenting with the Indian system, which is the the one we find in Parashara with friendships and enemies. Um, and so there really wasn't this like sharp and hard and fast boundary. There wasn't this hard and fast boundary between astrologies back in the day because people didn't think so so insularly. They didn't divide unnecessarily. And I, I just wanted to bring that up real quick as we wrap up because like I've been criticized before because I was quote-unquote mixing Indian techniques with Hellenistic techniques. And it's like I'm doing literally what – People, astrologers would have been doing 2000 years ago and I'm getting good results. Like I want, I want to be able to read for the person. I want to be able to get the accurate information from the chart. I don't, we shouldn't care about like, Oh, but it's not in this tradition. And so I can't go outside this. That's, that's complete bullshit. Exactly.
0: That's, that's really great because uh, even I am trying to bring out a synthesis between the East and Western like timing techniques. I'm trying to just, yeah, used both 3 and annual perfections at one point of time in Vedic chart. So uh, That's awesome. Yeah, I think, see, uh, I think it's like a brilliant value addition to each other funds of astrology, especially when it comes to timing techniques because astrology is like, it is like mostly predictive and the timing technique is, they are directly related to the, Predictive astrology. So, right. when you use Vimshotri Dasha and annual perfections and transits, I think that's a really deadly combination in order to get your predictions yeah. right.
1: <laughs> so, it's powerful stuff. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and uh, just like for information today. Um, like demetrios george's ancient astrology in practice practices being uh, like it's out for order and uh, it's in two volumes and but the first volume is not is out for order like pre order and i think this is uh, this is yet another great contribution to the hellenistic tradition because it has been revived which was probably lost or forgotten for the past 2000 years so uh, it was revived by the early 1990s by astrologers, like like, like due to some translations from ancient Greek uh, mm-hmm. to English. And uh, I think uh, Chris Brennan's uh, book on Hellenistic Astrology and uh, this book, they really form a brilliant combination uh, as a material for the future to read Hellenistic Astrology. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so that clearly brings out, like brings the end of the show. And cool. um, Thanks, thanks for joining Lars. And
1: All right, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. See you next time. Bye bye.
1: Okay. See ya.